Today we're going to be continuing on in the book of Shoftim, or the book of Judges. Uh, we're only going to be in one chapter this week. Uh, unfortunately, I have the duty, privilege, to go through Shoftim 16 this week. The reason I say unfortunately is because last time we were together, we learned about the first half of Shimshon, or Samson's life, and we actually found out that, hey, he was actually doing the plan of God in some strange, weird way. This is the week it all changes. From here to the end of the book of Shoftim, it only gets worse. It gets really bad. Just as a reminder of where we are, the big picture, Joshua came in, conquest, with conquest and took over the land with the children of Israel. We were introduced to all these different judges, and the last judge we're going to hear about is Shimshon. After Shimshon, there's not going to be a judge in Israel. In fact, at that point, we're going to see a dividing of the power. At this point, we have leadership and priesthood, quote-unquote, working together hand-in-hand. Hand. After the judges, we're going to enter a time called the time of the prophets and the kings, where Adonai will successfully divide the power between those who are re leading religiously and those who are leading on a social and political level. The last portion of the book of Judges is going to tell us why this needs to happen. Shimshon was a man who was surrounded by miracles, and yet we see that even though God moved mightily through him, in the end, his own selfish desires got the best of him. We always have to remember that none of us are immune to this. We all are enticed by sin, and despite our shortcomings and Shimshon's shortcomings, in the end, redemption is still there. So while the somberness of this message might very much be present in the beginning, in the end, we will be reminded that Shimshon will end up in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. None of this should surprise any of us, actually, as we are very much into the study of Torah and to the things of God, because we see in the book of Devarim, chapter 8, verse 11 through 20, says this, be careful not to forget Adonai your God by not obeying his mitzvot or his commandments, his rulings and his regulations that I'm giving to you today. Otherwise, after you've eaten and are satisfied, but built fine houses and lived in them and increased your herds, flocks, silver, gold, and everything else you own, you will become proud hearted, forgetting Adonai your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt where you lived as slaves. You will think to yourself, my own power and the strength of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. No, you are to remember Adonai, your God, because it is he who is giving you the power to get wealth in order to confirm his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors, as is happening even to this day. If you forget Adonai, your God, follow other gods and serve and worship them, I am warning you in advance today that you will certainly perish. You will perish just like the nations that Adonai is causing to perish ahead of you because you will not have heeded the voice of Adonai your God. This common cycle that we hear about all the time and we have to keep bringing it up because after this point, it's going to get so much worse. Israel's at peace with God, leads them to apathy towards sin, which then leads them to commit sin. They're then oppressed by an outside nation. They're judged by that nation, and God raises up a judge as well to deliver them from that nation, and then they're at peace once again, and then the whole cycle starts all over again. 
So jumping into chapter 16, verse 1, we see that Shimshon went to Azah, that is Gaza, where he saw a prostitute and went in to spend the night with her. This is the turning point, in case you were wondering. The people in Azah were told that Shimshon had come, so they surrounded the place where he was and also set an ambush for him all night at the city gate. So the final days of Shimshon are going to set, set up for us the perfect example of the decline of the hearts of the children of Israel. We're never exactly told what age this starts to happen within Shimshon's life. But remember last time we were together, we talked about how Shimshon judged 20 years. But that's only half the story. Because Adonai chooses to focus on the fact that, Adon, that Shimshon judged for 20 years. There's some bad things that are going to happen, but some good things came about. And now I need to tell you about the bad things so that I can show you once again that the good things were of God and were of benefit. The idea of you don't throw the baby out with the, bad wa with the bath water. So prior to this specific time, Shimshon's exploits were seen in the pursuit of his own personal desires to acquire a wife. But now his desires are more of a sinful nature. He's not seeking a wife. He's just seeking a fling. The rabbis go back and forth, and they debate. They say, oh, maybe Shimshon, at this point, he was going to see this prostitute to provoke the people of the Philistines once again. Maybe. Maybe not. It's hard to say. Because we just see the continual decline after this point. So the rabbis do agree that at this point right now in Shimshon's life, in verse 1 of chapter 16, this is a pivotal moment where he can choose to go one way or the other, and we're going to see he's going to go the other. He's going to take the wrong route. Their plan was to do nothing at night, but to wait until the morning and then kill him. So they're setting up an ambush for him. Verse 3, however, Shimshon stayed in bed until midnight, then he got up, took hold of the doors of the city gate and the two posts as well, pulled them up, bar and all, hoisted them on his shoulders, and carried them up to the top of the hill overlooking Hebron or Hebron. The distance from Gaza to Hebron is approximately 36 miles. So this mighty man of God, still with the Spirit of God upon him, acts in the power and the strength that Adonai gives him, rips off these doors and the hinges of this city, these gates that protect the city, and puts them on his shoulder and carries them 36 miles to Hebron and sets them up just to say, nah, to the Philistines. You're not going to get me. His pride is at the height of his life right now. Here comes the downfall. So after this, he fell in love with a woman who lived in the Sorek Valley, whose name was Delilah. Yeah, we all know where this is going. The chiefs of the Philistim went up to her and said, coax him into telling you where his great strength comes from and how we can overcome him so that he can, we can tie him up and subdue him. If you do each of the, if you do, each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. And Delilah said to Shimshon, Please tell me, what is it that makes you so strong? And how someone could tie you up and subdue you? 
The introduction of Delilah is, uh, is an interesting part of this story. In case you lost track, this is the third Gentile wife that Shimshon has sought after. The first time his parents came along and said, maybe there's a better choice to be made. But they knew and they understand eventually that in the end, God's hand was at work, the Bible tells us. Shimshon goes to see a prostitute. No parents there to say maybe there's a better choice. No word from God saying that this is my will. He then gives up on this plan, and he goes for another woman. We're never told that this is his wife. Some believe it is. Some believe it's not. I find it very interesting that the scripture is not saying that it's his wife, just that there's a woman that he fell in love with, but it doesn't seem like the, the love is being poured back onto Shimshon as well. In fact, when the, the leaders of the Philistine come to her and they say, hey, we want you to betray him, we'll give you 1,100 pieces of silver each of us will give you. That's a lot of silver. In today's market, like if we assume that the silver piece that they're giving is similar to the current shekel of the day, the silver shekel is 10 and a half grams in weight. At 78 cents a gram, you have about $8.19 per shekel. That means each of them were giving her at least $9,000. Depending upon how many chiefs or leader are, are kicking in, she has the opportunity to make a good sum of money. The question is why? If she's in a relationship with him that's healthy, why is she willing to betray him? The first wife, she was threatened, right, with life and death. They said, hey, you need to turn him over so we can kill him. And if you don't, we're going to burn you and your house down and your family down. And we're going to kill you all. I think it has to be this way almost. Because in this, when her not being his wife, she has no obligation to work in his favor. It's a fling. She doesn't have to stay. There's no commitment. So Dalila, Dalit Lamin Yod Lamid Hey. It means delicate. This lady is nothing up and delicate here. She is not delicate at all. And the rabbis point that out and they say, you know, it's interesting here because this sounds very familiar. And we probably have a play on words with the words diladla, which means to deplete, impoverish, or weaken. Very interesting. Now, the scripture does say Dalila, but they find it interesting that it sounds, if you say it a little too quick, it sounds like she's really trying to impoverish him. And I think this gives us some insight to the rest of the story that we're about to hear from, about Shimshon. For example, in the Mishnah, in Sota 9b, it picks up this idea, and it says that she, Dalila, depleted Samson's strength, his heart, for example, his faith and his good deeds. He's making some terrible judgment choices here. And we're going to see Samson begin to dabble more and more into his sin to the point where at first he says, well, if you do this, I'll lose my strength. Then he'll say, if you do that, then I'll lose my strength. And in the end, he's going to give in and tell her exactly what she needs to do. You see, that is how sin is, isn't it? It starts off small. If you do this, that's not like doing that. But then you do this, and then the next step is that. Then you do that, and the next step is this. And it continually goes until you find yourself in trouble. Verse 7, Shimshon replied, if they, if they tie me up with seven fresh bowstrings that have never been dried, I will become as weak as any other man. 
And the chiefs of the Pilistim brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, which had not been dried, and she tied him up with them. Now she had people lying in wait inside the room, so she said to him, Shimshon, the Philistine have come for you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of straw breaks when it touches fire, and the source of his strength remained unknown. That should have kind of been like warning number one for him. But we'll, we'll, we'll give her the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they were just playing around, and she's like, you know... Could you tell me, you know, maybe, you know, a little batting of the eyes, you know, a little bit of more lipstick, you know, just trying to play to his manly side. And he says, fine, I'll play along with you. But then it happens again. Verse 10, Delilah said to Shimshon, you're making fun of me, telling me lies. Now, come on, tell me what it is that takes to tie you up. All it takes, he answered, is to tie me up with new ropes that haven't been used. Then I'll become weak and be like anyone else. So Delilah took new ropes, tied him up, and said to him, Shimshon, the Philistine have come for you. The people lying in wait were in the inside room, but he broke the ropes from off his arms like a thread. Strike two. <laughs> she did the same thing. Come on, Shimshon. And it's easy to have hindsight and to look on this, because we know how this story is going to end. But being in the midst of it, remember, we're dealing with a sin issue here. And the thing that we're not told is time either. So the first is that it could have happened, and we might have months that take place in between. So maybe he forgot. Good possibility. Verse 13, now Delilah said to Shimshon, Till now you've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Tell me what it takes to tie you up. And he said, if you weave the seven locks of my hair across the thread on a loom. So she fastened her cloth work in the loom with a pin and wove his hair in. I, I, <laughs> I have trouble with this. <laughs> so we got a loom set up. You know, a big loom. Like, we're not talking about, like, a little, like, I'm, I'm crocheting. We're making a loom. We're making a carpet or something. And he willingly lays down and puts his hair in. At this point, I think he really is mocking her. He's like, yeah, just weave my hair in that loom, and that'll be the source of my strength. It'll be gone somehow. So she fastened her cloth work in the loom with a pin and wove his hair in. Then she said to him, Shimshon and the Pillish team have come for you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled away the loom pin and the interwoven cloth. She said to him, how can you say you love me when your heart isn't with me? This is called emotional blackmail. Three times you've made fun of me and you haven't told me the source of your great strength. You know, and before we start to laugh and poke fun and jest at, how often do we find ourselves doing the same thing with our own spouses? If you loved me, you'd tell me it all. You wouldn't think of me first. That's, that's emotional blackmail. We've got to be careful with those types of things. And so I could see why he starts to give in to this, because this is a normal part of life and living. So every day she kept nagging at him and pressing at him till it bothered him to death so that he finally told her everything. 
He said to her, no razor has ever touched my head because I have been a Nazir of God since I was born. If someone shaves me, then my strength will leave me and I will be like any other men. So it's interesting at this point, remember the, the, the idea of a Nazir is you don't drink or eat grapes, you don't touch dead bodies, and you don't cut your hair. Now we see that Shimshon has already violated two of the three of these things. He's gone through a grape field. He's touched a deadline, and he's killed over a thousand men at this point. So he's, he's violated the first two. And so we see that Shimshon's idea of his relationship with Adonai hangs on the fact that, hey, the hair is probably the last step. And that is how sin goes, isn't it? We take a step, and then another step, and in our mind we think, you know, I bet if I take one more step, that's probably going to be it. I should probably stop. And so Shimshon makes that declaration but such is sin, it keeps nagging and pressing on that eventually we do unfortunately make that final step into sin and we see drastic outcomes. So this word nagging, it's souk. It means to constrain, press, or oppress. The idea is like you do this when you want oil from an olive. You bruise it, like you press it and you apply continual pressure to squeeze it out. So she's a nagging w wife, girlfriend, whatever their relationship might be. She, so Shimshon has become a hand-pecked husband or boyfriend. So he's giving up. He's, I'm done. I can't handle this anymore. The second word is pressing. A lot. It means to urge. She begged. She, she, she manipulated him till she got exactly what she wanted. And it wasn't because she loved him that she wanted to know the truth. She wanted the money. She's a gold digger before the term was even invented. So Shimshon is being oppressed into submission and urged into compliance. We live in a day and age where we see that all the time. We're constantly being oppressed to submit to what one person or another might tell us to do. And we're urged to be compliant for the sake of peace. Interesting, this is how sin manifests our, itself in our lives. It urges us, it pleads, that yetzer hurrah, that evil inclination within us, is constantly nagging and oppressing and trying to get us to do what it wants us to do, but we have to fight against it. Verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had really confided in her, she sent and summoned the chiefs of the Pilishtim with the message, come up this one last time, because he has finally told me the truth. And the chiefs of the Pilishtim went up to her and brought the money with them. She had him go to sleep in her lap and called for a man to shave off his seven locks of hair. Then she began tormenting him, but his strength had gone away. Some translations say at this point that this was the beginning of his tormentation, of his being tormented. She said, Shimshon, the Pilishtim have come for you. He awoke from his sleep and said, I'll get out this time, just as I shook myself loose before. But he didn't know that Adonai had left him. Let's pause and think about that. He didn't know that Adonai had left him. Of all the verses in the Bible that are the saddest, I'm going to rate this up there with top three. 
Shimshon had lived a life where he felt the presence of God and he did miracles at the hand of God. And now he's going to do it just like he did before, but he hadn't realized at what point the Spirit of God had lifted off of him. That's what sin does. It separates us. It makes us become callous towards the things of God, the, the commands of God, to the point where we forget and we don't realize when God's Spirit has left our lives. You know, we're continually encouraged that the spirit of holiness coming upon us isn't just a one-time thing. It's a constant daily filling, that power from God to actually live a life that brings glory to him. And if we get into a point with sin where we don't realize that the spirit has left us, it's time to reevaluate. We should feel that every time. Be like, whoa, I think I took a step away from God. I think I need to repent right away. Because the more steps you take, the easier it becomes for us to, to get away from him. So the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Ahaz. The very thing that was his primary issue, you know, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Like, this was an issue for Shimshon. So the first thing they took from him is, ha, you like our Philistine women? You'll never see one again. Gouged out his eyes. They bound him with two bronze chains, not, not steel, not iron, bronze, soft metal, and put him to work grinding grain at the mill in the prison. However, after the hair on his head had been cut off, it began growing back again. There's no miracle in that. Haircut grows back. We all know, well, unless you're going bald. <laughs> It doesn't, it'd be nice if it worked that way, but unfortunately it doesn't. So his hair begins to grow back. But we see that he's put into the prison to grind grain. This, this term here is super interesting. And I, I spoke with my wife this week, and I was like, I don't know if I should put what I've discovered in here as the rabbis drosh this out. And she's like, don't do it. And I'm like, you know what, I think I'm going to do it. And she said, don't do it. So... If, uh, if this backfires on I me, mean, know that my wife uh, acted as wisdom and I chose not to exercise it. So the grinding of the grain, it could have a dual meaning. It can literally mean to be grinding grain at a mill, which I find very interesting because remember this was Shimshon who in this previous time when he was following God, tied the foxtails together and sent them out in the field and destroyed all their grain in their vineyards. So it's like, uh, ha, you thought you got us. Now you're going to grind our grain. We got you now. You know, perhaps they felt, the Philistine felt like Samson had acted like and treated them as animals. And now they were going to show him what it was like to be one. Because this is a beast of burden job. Like to grind the amount of wheat needed to feed people is, you get a beast of burden in there. But remember, Shimshon's strength has left him. He doesn't have the supernatural strength. He's having to do it with his own strength right now. Now, for the possible second explanation, we have to, be, we have to go and look in the, in the Midrash. But before we go into the Midrash, I wanted you to turn to the book of Yov, or Job. It's on page 1029 in the complete Jewish Bible. We're going to be in chapter 31, and we're going to do verses 1 through 12. Now, Job, just to give you a little running start here at this point, uh, Job's friends have been accusing him of 
going against the word of God and, and violating the commands of God. And Job has from this point said, I am righteous. I have not violated God's commands. The bad things that have happened in my life, I don't know why they've happened. And we are privy to, in the first couple chapters of Job, that we're told what happens, that Job is a righteous man, and that he's being used in some cosmic test here to prove that God is the God of the universe, and that people will worship him because of who he is, not because of what he does and provides for them. So in verse 1, Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to let them lust after any girl. If there is a verse that we need to be teaching ourselves and our children in this world to memorize, it's that one right there. It's a big deal in our society. What share does God give from above? What is the heritage from Shaddai on high? Isn't it calamity to the unrighteous? Disaster to those who do evil? Doesn't he see my ways and count all my steps? If I have gone along with falsehood, if, I, if my feet have hurried to deceit, then let me be weighed on an honest scale so that God will know my integrity. If my steps have wandered from the way, if my heart has followed my eyes, if the least dirt has stuck to my hands, then let me sow and someone else eat. Let what grows from my fields be uprooted. If my heart has been enticed toward a woman, and I have lain in wait at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind for another man, and let others kneel for her. For that would be, the, be, an, be a heinous act, a criminal offense, a fire that would burn in the depths of Abaddon uprooting all I produce. So Job would say, hey, if I am unrighteous, if I have done something wrong, let my wife grind. And the idea here isn't necessarily the idea of grinding wheat, but it's the same phrase that's used. It's the idea that she is committing an adulterous act with another man. And he says, if, if, if that's what's due for me, the punishment, then let it happen. Perhaps it's while reading the book of Job that these Midrash statements come about. Rabbi Yohanan says, Grinding is nothing other than a language of a transgression of sexual intercourse. And so the verse says, Then let my wife grind unto another man. That was verse 10 in Job. This teaches that each and every Philistine man brought his wife to the prison in order that she should be impregnated by Samson. The idea being that, look at this mighty man of God. We want all of our children to be mighty men of God. Let's bring our women to Samson. He seems to be pretty loose-belted. Let's keep this thing going. The Midrash continues on. This teaches that each and every Philistine man brought his wife to the prison in order that she should be impregnated by Samson. Rav Papa said, This is an example of the folks saying that people say, before a wine drinker, bring more wine. Before one who digs in the ground, bring figs. So too Samson, who married Philistine woman, women, was brought more Philistine women while in prison. You know, and I, 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 I struggle with this because it is Midrash. We don't see that in Scripture, but I could see how this fits. If we follow the story through, this is a big sexual sin that Shimshon is dealing with. So it could be him grinding grain. 
And it could be that Samson was re receiving his just desserts. The sin that he was so excited about was the sin that was given to him in more abundance than he ever wanted. This was the reward of his sowing. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8 says, Don't delude yourselves. No one makes a fool of God. A person reaps what he sows. Those who keep sowing in the field of their old nature in order to meet its demands will eventually reap ruin. But those who keep sowing in the field of the Spirit will reap from the Spirit everlasting life. So what does sin do? There are three things that sin primarily does, and maybe you've heard this before. I was reminded of it this past week. Sin does three things. It blinds us to the consequences. Shimshon's eyes were gouged out. It binds us. We become slaves to sin and its will for our lives. Thirdly, it grinds us. It continually pushes us down and requires more and more and more from us. That's why I have no problem saying that he was actually grinding wheat, because I think that fits. The sin had fallen upon him, and he had to grind it out now. We're not told the time. We've discussed this already. But think about the thoughts that Shimshon must have had, whether he's grinding wheat or he's grinding in another way. Those thoughts that fill our minds when we're so entrenched in our sin that we're like, Adonai, I just need out of this. I, I'm, I've had enough. I'm done playing around. Help me. Deliver me. Sin will always gloat over our downfall. So verse 23. Now the chiefs of the Pilishtim assembled to offer a great sacrifice to their god, Dagon. As they celebrated, they sang, Our God has handed over to us the en our enemy, Shimshon. Upon seeing him, the people praised their God. Our God has handed over to us our enemy who destroyed our land and killed so many of us. Now when they were high, in high spirits, they said, Summon Shimshon to amuse us. So they called Shimshon out of the prison and he amused them, whatever that means. When they put him between the columns, so they're in the temple of Dagon, it's a half man, half fish god, lowercase g, not the real god. They're in this huge temple, two big columns that hold up the entirety and, and support the majority of the weight of the temple. Now Shimshen said to the boy, holding him by the hand, he's blind, he's not strong, and a boy is leading Shimshon. This is how much they disregard him now. He said, let me feel the columns supporting the building so that I can lean on them. Now the building was full of men and women. And potentially, if we go the route of the rabbis, women who were pregnant with the offspring of Shimshon. Interesting thought there. And all the chiefs of the Plishtim were there. In addition to them, there were about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching as Shimshon performed. Shimshon called to Adonai, and he said, Adonai Elohim, just this once, please think of me, and please give me strength so that I can take revenge on the Pilishtim for at least one of my two eyes. And Shimshon 
got a good hold on the two middle columns supporting the building and leaned on them, on one with his right hand and the other with his left. Then crying, let me die with the Philistine, he pushed with all his might, and the building collapsed on the chiefs and on all the people inside. So he killed more at his death than he had killed during his life. We see in a unique way God's grace shown that Shimshon's hair begins to grow back during his captivity. We see that he comes to this point where he says, Adonai, I've had enough. Deliver me. The only way I'm going to be delivered is by sacrificing myself. And we see ultimately the foreshadowing of our Messiah, Yeshua, as well where he didn't come to serve himself, but to serve others. And at the end of his life, he would say, I will take on all the sin of mankind, the penalty. Please take my life. So in the end, he kind of did it right. Shimshon understood. Now his brothers and all his family came down, took him, brought him up, and buried him between Zor and Eshtal in the tomb of his father Manoah. And Shimshon had judged Israel 20 years. That, that normal deliverance. This, this progression we've seen, the peace, apathy, sin, oppression, judgment, deliverance, over and over and over. Samson found himself in captivity, but in captivity he turned back to God. In our struggles in life, we too can turn back to God. It's never too late. We're never too gone from him. We can call out to our master, Yeshua, for help. It is in Messianic Jews, chapter 11, that we're reminded, what more should I say? There isn't time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Shimshon, Yiftak, David, Shemuel, and the prophets, who through trusting conquered kingdoms, worked righteousness, received what was promised, shut the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, had their weakness turned to strength, grew mighty in battle, and routed foreign enemies. Women received back their dead resurrected. Other people were stretched on the rack and beaten to death, refusing to be ransomed so that they would gain a better resurrection. Others underwent the trials of being mocked and whipped, then chained and imprisoned. They were stoned, sawn in two, murdered by the sword, and went about clothed in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted, mistreated, wandering about in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. The world was not worthy of them. All these had their merit attested because of their trusting. Shimshon trusted. He faltered in the end, but he came back and he trusted. As we move through the story of Shimshon and we finish up, Samson's judgment, his judgeship, we saw that his life reflects the spiritual condition of Israel at the time. They were able to accomplish such great things at the hand of God. And yet they found themselves being dry and apathetic, needing the living water from God. As I said before, it only gets worse from here on out. They were in the midst of the sin cycle, the people of Israel, and we're all familiar with that. And we need to be careful that we don't confuse God's patience with us in the midst of our sin as apathy towards our sin. Our sin is personal. It belongs to us, nobody else. Adonai would say, judgment and revival start in the house of God. If we truly want to see our land changed, 
It's not about who we elect as president, as governor, as city manager. It starts with us and in our hearts. If we seek him wholeheartedly, he will come about and heal our land. Today is the day to change. Today is the day that we need to stand up and say, I'm done. I don't want this anymore. This burden's too heavy. Take it from me. Shabbat shalom.